Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. We will be turning in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 for our message, The Mysteries of the Kingdom. When we think about the mysteries of the kingdom, as I mentioned, we'll be in Matthew 13, so if you have your own Bible, you'll want to make your way there. In a few minutes, we're going to stand and read this portion of Scripture to start us off. But the mysteries of the kingdom are secrets that have never been revealed to humans that Jesus reveals to his disciples. Now, there's something juicy about being included in a secret, isn't there? From the time you were little on the playground, if there's a secret and you get to be a part of it, right? And it also is a bummer if your friends are whispering in the corner secrets and they leave you out. You feel a little left out. And uh, so this is a uh, top secret family secret as we go through these seven parables. Now there's eight parables in chapter 13. We did one Saturday night, and I've saved these because he... Uh, Jesus gave an extensive description of why the parables and how they work. And we talked about that on Saturday night. And if you want part one of this message, you'll have to go online and pick that up. But this is part two, so I'm not going to retrace that ground. But the thing is about top secret clearance. There are things that people want to know about the spiritual realm that's going on around us. Why do you think that 900 psychic lines make money? Why do you think people go have their palm read or have a fortune teller or seance? Any of these things, people are constantly curious. Now, they don't want to approach the authentic way where they can get the family secret and know Jesus. But there's something about having the, the family clearance, if you will, of being in the family. And these are secrets just for us that Jesus tells us about. And the only way you can really tap in is if you have a desire to know the Lord and you eagerly want to apply what he has for us. And that's what he tells us in the parables. Those who have, more will be given to you. Uh, where I pastored for 25 years, we had a uh, nuclear site. And people that were doing tests out there, we had a mo um, number of engineers that went to our church. and. So through the years, when they had to get their security clearance, they had to re-up it every five years, they would put me on the, the uh, uh, roster for the FBI to come interview me about them. I remember the first day, I, I'm playing my guitar because I wanted to learn how to play guitar in my 40s. And uh, I'm about 40, maybe 38. And I'm playing my guitar, and I, you know, my intercom, my secretary goes, Pastor Rick, the FBI, to see you, Agent you know, Smith's here. And I thought, this is kind of weird. The FBI is coming to my office, and I'm playing worship songs to Jesus. It's kind of crazy. So he comes in, and he's very official. He's got his suit and tie, and he's probably 60, and he sits down, and he wants to interview about this person that's in our congregation that I knew very well. And uh, I had my guitar. I was just getting ready to put it down, and the guy breaks his solemn character, and he goes, I play classical guitar. So I hand him my guitar. He plays a little number for me. And I'm thinking, how do I share Jesus with an FBI agent in my office? And uh, I'm thinking about this, like how can I, you know, this guy might need to know the Lord here. And so he plays his tune and he said, now I want you to learn to play a song. Now I literally had just begun, maybe a month playing the guitar, and I was singing this new version of Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And, and I said, okay, I'll play a song for you. So I just sang him the gospel. <laughs> and, and at the end, he was wanting to get right down to business. I made him quite uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI usually makes you uncomfortable. You want to make them uncomfortable? You just start telling them about Jesus and they get seriously uncomfortable. <laughs> hey, let's stand and read this portion of scripture as we check this out. Starting in verse 24, Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? 
And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Father, we ask that you would illuminate and open our hearts of understanding by your spirit as we talk about the mysteries of the kingdom, Jesus, that you gave to us. Give us insight and a desire to apply the things we learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I mentioned in chapter 13, there are eight parables. There's the parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, which we just began to read, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the dragnet, and the householder. Now, as you go through this process of understanding what these mysteries are, it's good to hit them all at once and not separated so you can see a bigger picture of what Jesus wants to do, with the exception of the first, which I've already talked about on Saturday night. But here we see this farmer, he goes out and he plants good seed, and as the crop starts to come up, in the night, somebody has went out and planted bad seeds or weeds. They're called tares. Most believe they're the darnel, which looks exactly like wheat until harvest time. So they can't even tell the difference. And what we discover in, in the devil, who is really revealed in a lot of these secrets to the kingdom, how he operates, in the first parable, he tries to stop people with persecution and intimidation to turn away from the Lord from their faith. Because of the word's sake, if you make a stand for Jesus or you make a stand for God's word and then people attack you, most people will want to shrivel and hide. We have this case that's uh, reached epic proportions this last week of a hockey player that is a, a Russian Eastern Orthodox Christian and he did not want to participate in a gay pride hockey game. Right? They put rainbow tape around their hockey sticks. And he's a Christian. He's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I don't believe in homosexuality. I'm not going to support it. I'll play the hockey game afterwards, but I'm not going to be a part of the parade. So all of the media, sports commentators, just dogpile on this guy and just eviscerate him for simply making a statement. This was his statement. He said, I want to be true to myself and true to my uh, religion, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But because of God's word and the stand he was making, people attacked him. Now this dude obviously has a backbone a mile wide because he didn't budge at all. Now you know that on that hockey team there was probably five other players that felt exactly like him, but they didn't have the guts to stand up, right? The cool thing was, was everybody attacked him. The Christians went online and bought all of his jerseys, all of his memorabilia, they just went crazy. <laughs> because they just wanted to back him up. And you're gonna go through persecution. And the devil's first attack on any of us is if you say you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Bible, you wanna to go to church, you wanna love God, and you believe the things in the scriptures, then people will attack you aggressively. But realize we're not wrestling with the flesh and blood, the face that's actually attacking us. It's the demonic forces behind them that are attacking us. And if he can cause you to wilt and wither and suck your thumb in the corner, he's already won, right? But when that tactic doesn't, work, when the onslaught of aggression doesn't work, then he switches tactics and he infiltrates by stealth and comes in among you and begins to pervert things from the inside. And so these next three parables, the parables of the tear, the parables of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven are all about him coming in by stealth and working evil within the people of God to bring it down from within. This is very much what's happening in America, right? America's not going to be overtaken by a foreign power. America's gonna die by suicide, by the infiltration within that no longer loves our nation and doesn't wanna be in unity. And they're dividing it and destroying it from within. In this story, when the servants, and we're gonna find out in a moment who all the players are, because it's almost like a play. You know, you go to a play and say, the Wizard of Oz, and say, who's playing Dorothy? Well, Jill is. And, and you go through the, who's playing the Tin Man? Who's playing the Cowardly Lion? And Jesus is gonna give us all the players in this scenario, but one thing before we move on, the servants ask, do you want us to go out and pull the weeds? Should we now invest 
in pulling the weeds? And he goes, no, because you're gonna pull up a lot of wheat if you do it. This is the simple principle. If I spend all my time attacking what is wrong, I will stumble other Christians as well. Like if all I do is talk about what's negative, right? It doesn't do anybody any good. I was taught as a young minister that if a room is dark, I could go in there with a baseball bat and try to beat the darkness out, or I can just turn on the light of God's love. Turn on the light of his word and let God do the work. And so Jesus says these things are gonna go to the end of the age. Now, in the actual, your actual chapter, there's two parables in between the first one and this one, and then the explanation. And for our time here, I've just put the, bumped the explanation up. So it's in verse 36, following along, as we look at these three parables about corruption from within that the enemy brings. It says in verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now the disciples were inquisitive. They wanted to know the answer to the story about the farmer and the person planting bad seeds in his field and what's that all about. So Jesus now explains it. So you don't have to, there's no mystery to this. This is what Jesus says. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, believers in Jesus. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one, those who are following or have not surrendered their life to Jesus. This is the crazy thing that people have a hard time because there's this word, have you heard it recently? Binary, right? People hate binary. Male, female, that's a binary thing. True, false, binary. In this case, it's either binary. You're a son of God or you're a child of the devil. The Bible says that every single person is in one of those camps. There's no middle ground. There's no, no place in the middle to hide there's no middle ground, and Jesus makes it clear here, and you go, well, that's certainly not about me. I'm just a nice person, but I, I don't want to believe in Jesus, thank you very much. Well, to be undecided is to be decided. You've made a decision. You don't want anything to do with him. In this scenario, Jesus now says in the parable, this is the mystery of all humanity. In this room, there are those who love Jesus, and there are those who do not. Simply put, now extrapolate that around the globe with eight billion people. There are those who know Jesus and those who do not. Do you know that there's only two religions in the world? The true religion of Jesus and then all the other. <laughs> That's it. You can put them all in the same category, right? And he tells us in verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age, the Son of Man will send out his angels. Realize these are mysteries of the kingdom. Hey, what's gonna happen in the future, you guys? What's gonna happen at the end of the age of humanity? Jesus is telling you right now. Nobody else knows this stuff but Jesus, and he's letting us know what it is. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, those who are unbelievers, and he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's always a little startling. We, you know that Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures? He speaks about hell more than heaven in the scriptures. He mentions hell 11 times. And every time he does, it's just a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you feel a little uncomfortable? I feel a little uncomfortable when I hear wailing and gnashing of teeth. Just kind of makes you like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I want to preach that. But he said it, so I better preach it if I'm going to be a faithful preacher, right? Amen, <laughs> right? Because there's the good news that Jesus loves you, died on the cross for your sins, and through faith in him, you can have your sins forgiven and have everlasting life. But if you reject that, there's the bad news that you're going to hell where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. There's no subtle way to say that, folks. <laughs> I'm reminded of a pastor that wanted to lighten that up in Great Britain, and he was preaching, and he did not know he had the eminent C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist in the audience, and he says, I want to warn you, congregation, that to reject Christ is to endanger yourself with eschatological ramifications. And so afterwards, C.S. Lewis came up to him and he said, by eschatologically ramifications, did you mean hell? And he said, 
well, yes, sir. He said, well, then just say that. <laughs> we live in a generation, even within the church, where preachers will not tell people, without Christ, you are going to hell. And it's so terrifying. Now, I want you to know I am saying it so mild and calm because the first time I heard that, as my grandparents drug me to church at five years of age, I was absolutely terrified because there was a guy up there preaching, just like old school, fiery southern preachers. He was sweating. He had his handkerchief off. He's wiping his forehead, and he's telling you, you're going to be ripped to the very bowels of hell. I was five years old standing on the pew. I'm like, however that happens, I don't want to go there, right? So I was terrified from a very young age. But Jesus tells us these things are not just a preacher telling us. The reality that there's secrets to the kingdom at the end of the age, this is what is going to happen to humanity. The angels are going to show up and they're going to gather those who do not know the Lord and take them to their place. And he's going to gather those who believe in the Lord and take us to heaven to be with our Father in heaven. The challenge for all of us is that Christians suffer here from a world that hates God, hates Jesus, and hates his message. So we're persecuted. But that's the worst it's ever going to be, you guys. We're going to heaven forever. For them, they get to enjoy their sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or whatever freewheeling lifestyle they want. But then they go into eternity, eternally separated from God, in a terrible place. So I'll take this option, thank you very much. I'm going to walk with Jesus. You have your choice. Nobody can force you into a relationship with Jesus. You have to surrender because you discover you need his redemption. So the first one is the devil comes in to try to infiltrate. The second parable is similar. In verse 31, we see the third parable of these eight, and it's the mustard seed. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Notice in each one of these parables, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, all seven of these parables that we're going to talk about today, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a guy that went and sowed a mustard seed, very small, but it grows abnormally into a large, most mustard plants are like a, a bush or a shrub, not really a tree, but it is big enough for a, a bird to get into. But it appears that Jesus is saying, God's kingdom is like something so small, but when planted, it grows and flourishes. But when it gets large, it's easy for people to infiltrate. The birds of the air are negative. They are, uh, we find in the parable of the sower, they come and steal the seed with their workers of Satan, and they steal the seeds out of people's hearts. So these birds of the air have come and lodged in the branches. The larger a religious organization gets, the true church gets, Oftentimes people can sneak in unaware that are corrupting in nature. And we've, I mean, I've been pastoring for 33 years, so I have had every kind of weird experience as the church gets large and you don't know everybody, and then some really strange person comes in and begins to uh, deceive and take advantage. We had this guy show up, and it seemed too good to be true. When things seem too good to be true, they usually are. Right? This guy came in and he was helping this. He found a handicapped person to bring and he had to support him all the way into church and everybody was just like, ooh, ah, this guy's so amazing. We found out through a series of things and investigation, I'm like, there's something that doesn't smell right about this guy. And we investigated and he had moved from state to state, getting involved in churches, playing the same routine, getting two or three people in the church that he discovered had money and having them invest in his fictional business and then making about forty dollars or $50,000 and then leaving town on those people. And he did it over and over and over. And I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm not a detective. But when, I, when the sheep... When I feel a wolf comes, if you want to see my demeanor go from a very smiley, happy pastor to a wolf-killing machine, that's me. It's like, and so uh, we, I went after this guy. Like once I found out and I had the you know, people, I said, hey, let's call them right now. They, they have the evidence of what you've done. The guy was so brazen. Obviously, he disappeared from the church immediately because we outed him. 
<laughs> he was so brazen, he sent me a note to the church a couple of months later that he had moved on and found greener pastures in another church, but didn't tell me where it was, so I had no idea how to warn them. How's that guy just go? For, be, it's gotta be large enough where everybody doesn't know each other, right? So something very small starts very beautifully and is very wonderful, and then these birds of the air come rest in its branches. When something gets ginormous, like the, the Catholic Church and the scandals that they've had, because you have these people that are, there's wonderful uh, Catholic people and priests, and then there are people that are predators and have preyed upon the, the children in the churches because it's so big, and then they just move them around rather than dealing with the issue. But you gotta deal with the issue. Jesus is telling us these secrets about the kingdom of heaven is not without human effect or human sin or demonic infiltration. Yet, we're not gullible, you guys. We're in a spiritual battle. These things are real. He goes on to another one in verse 33, the leaven. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now I want you to know that both the mustard seed and the leaven is traditionally from a lot of, say, mainline churches and interpreters interpreted this way. Isn't it wonderful? God's kingdom grows really small. It gets really big and the birds just nest and it's just, it's wonderful that the, the, the birds are taking refuge in the tree. No, we learned in the first parable, the birds of the air are negative. <laughs> They're emissaries of the devil. So we have to be consistent with our interpretation of the parables. And they say of this one, isn't it wonderful? The kingdom of heaven is, it's like leaven that just, it, it moves through the dough and it just leavens everything. So the gospel is just gonna fill the earth and it's gonna be wonderful. No, no, all the way through the scriptures, leaven is negative. From Exodus on, from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it becomes this thing that is a New Testament illustration. Jesus told his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those of Herod, the followers of Herod, Herodians. He says, beware of them. And he said, it's hypocrisy for the Pharisee or the Sadducee. All three of them represent something different that Jesus is warning us about within the Christian circle of things. The Pharisee was a legalist. Right, he, he thought, if you just keep this law, that's good enough for you to get in a right relationship with God. But they were total hypocrites. He said they would, they would strain at a gnat but swallow a camel as an illustration. You ever walking on a summer evening and you just, maybe you're jogging and you have a gnat hit the back of your throat? It's, it's a bug or a mosquito and you're trying to hack it out, right? Well, they would do that because you can't eat blood. So they're literally trying to get the thing out because they can't have the bug's blood in them but then they would be so hypocritical to do something ridiculous and sinful. Now the Sadducees, they were liberal. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in angels. The Sadducees had no, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were basically like liberal Christians today that don't believe in heaven and hell. You'll go to a lot of churches today that don't, they just, it's like a nice social club basically. They don't actually believe the Bible. And so that's a, each one of these things misses the mark. Sin, the word sin means to miss the bullseye. It means to miss the mark. So these things are missing the target of the bullseye. And those of Herod was, it was basically corrupt political influences. And he said, beware of these three things. Beware of all three of them. Paul the Apostle picks up the idea of leaven because the, in Corinth there was a sin going on that the church knew about and they were actually thought, oh, you know, we're so grace-filled, we're not even gonna deal with it. But a man was having sex with his stepmother, and the father was still his, his father. They were all still in the congregation, and people in the church knew that the stepson and the stepmom were having an affair in adultery, and they were just like, isn't this great? We can still sing Kumbaya together. And Paul the Apostle's like, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I mean, if you start letting sexual immorality into your church just be rampant, everybody is gonna be doing it, right? If, if there's no sexual... Uh, purity from a biblical perspective. Now face it guys, God's target for sexual expression is a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage having sexual intimacy. That's it. Like all the other alternative lifestyles and further, it all misses the mark. That's why it's all called sin. 
Paul tells the Galatians who had went back into legalism that that was a little leaven that leavens a whole lump. Leaven is a picture of something small that you let into your life or you let into your congregation that begins to work its through way all the way through everyone. So that pretty soon, pretty soon, the whole church is infected with the hypocrisy. The whole church is infected with the sexual immorality. The whole church is infected with the legalism. You see, we say things like this. Hey, can I plant this thought in your mind? Right, I'm planting something in your mind. And then that seed begins to grow as you think about it. That's the way the devil works. He plants a thought in your mind of temptation and it begins to grow as you harbor it. So the devil realizes, I can, I can squish some Christians with persecution so that they basically turn away from their faith. But a lot of them, I just have to deceive them slowly by infiltrating and then come alongside and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a Christian and I, you know, I know that I'm doing this or that, but it's okay because God's given me special permission. <laughs> There's always this chapter in the, the, the end of the Bible. It's a blank page that people write their own chapter. It's like, this is specially for me. I get to get away with this and nobody else does. But that grows because all of us will seek our lowest level like water, right? Whatever the, the standard is. The secrets of the kingdom to realize that you and I are in a real spiritual challenging minefield of walking with God and honoring God, but with constant you know, winds of influence upon us. I'm a pilot, so as you're flying an airplane and you have strong winds, you have to you know, basically crab into the wind. You're actually going through the air like this sometimes because of, to stay on your course. As you're going through the air because of the wind that's trying to twist you. And if you just let the wind blow you wherever you want, you're, you're gonna be way off course. So Jesus has given us the way. He's given us the GPS, how to stay on course, you guys, with the secrets to the kingdom. And he tells us that these parables are a fulfillment of prophecy in verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Nobody knew these things before the secret of the world was revealed to us from Jesus. We didn't know about the, the last days. We didn't know about heaven and hell. We, we didn't know about this stuff as the Lord begins to reveal it to us. And we didn't know how to be secure in a relationship with God through Jesus. All these things are new to us. It's amazing to me that so many people will reject traditional Christianity, biblical Christianity, but when they reject the truth, they believe the most wacko things They'll embrace, you know, the, hey, I've got these crystals, and these crystals are just doing it for me. I've, got to, I've been meditating upon my navel, and just I'm thinking about nirvana. Nirvana means, you know, nothingness. And I'm just, oh, oh. Now, if I share a Bible with, verse with them, they'll say I'm absolutely crazy. I said, dude, I'm not the one meditating on my belly button with my legs crossed in my living room saying, Om. Oh. There's a lot of variations of things that people begin to chase when they reject the truth. I don't want Jesus, but the Eastern religion thing. If you knew what reincarnation is all about, you want nothing to do with it. That I could die and if I behave badly, I'm coming back like a fly, right? Reincarnation became this you know, intriguing thing to the West but those who live under it, it is the greatest burden. The greatest burden. Because imagine, if you think you haven't been good enough and you die, what you're coming back as. That's why they don't, I mean, they're starving to death and that's why they don't kill the cow in the street to eat the cow, right? Because that's Uncle Eddie, right? Uncle Eddie didn't do well, he came back as a cow. It's reincarnation. And when people reject the mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus revealed to us, they'll follow anything. I mean, literally, the, I mean, they'll put on their orange robe and if you've hung out with some Hare Krishnas, you know, Hare Krishna, Rama, 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 you know, they get their, their little tambourine things, the Baha'i faith, the Buddhism, all that stuff. And you can chase those things. 
But Jesus said, he is, Peter talking to him said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. These things are the reality for the soul that wants to believe. Now these next two are redemptive, which is so beautiful because the last three were pretty heavy. So the fifth parable is the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Once again, there's the traditional mainline interpretation, which is, oh, you are the one that came across the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. You go sell all you have so that you can buy Jesus. Well, that doesn't work for a multitude of reasons. First of all, you can't buy Jesus, right? But the man that is looking for the treasure is Jesus in the parable. And we remember the field is the world. And he finds this treasure But this one is unique in the redemption of it because once he finds the treasure in the field, it says, and the man found and hid. And then he went and sold everything that he had. Jesus sold everything he had. The picture is, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that Jesus uh, had his wealth of the glory of heaven and he stepped down and became poor that he might save us, stepped down in the incarnation and became a human to die for us and pay the price. But this treasure, as we see in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel is called a treasure of the Lord. And this treasure the Lord has redeemed. He died on the cross for the nation of Israel, for the Jews. The Bible says the gospel goes to the Jew first, then the Gentile. For the Jew first, then the Greek. It is this one-two punch of redemption, and that's what we see in these two parables. And he has hidden this, he found this treasure, he died for this treasure, he rose from the dead for this treasure, but he has hidden it because by and large, the Jews today are not experiencing the revival that Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 say they're going to in the future. It tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When that last Gentile gets saved, God's gonna begin to deal with the nation of Israel again, but he's redeemed them. Now, some Jews are getting saved through Jesus, but the majority are agnostic or atheistic or want nothing to do with God. But the next one, the pearl of great price, the sixth parable, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, this merchant is Jesus, seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now this is great, the Jews did not really uh, value pearls. Now the pearl is the only gem, if you will, if we can call it a gem or a, a stone, that is uh, organic or natural, because you know the process of a pearl being made. An oyster gets some irritant, like a grain of sand, in the soft underbelly within its shell, and it's irritating the oyster, and so it begins to secrete this knacker, it's called knacker, and it goes layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, trying to smooth that irritant. And this irritant, this pearl of great price that the Lord has found and saved, is you and I, and I think that's an apt illustration that you and I are an irritant, <laughs> right? That the Lord wants to save. I'm just talking, not talking about your teenager. I'm talking about the reality. But some believe that he's talking about the church also. But the, but the real discovery is that the Lord has found us as individual pearls. Unlike a diamond, a ruby, a sapphire, you can cut those gemstones, but a pearl is just one unique organic stone. You and I are are these living stones, and the Lord has rescued us, but he paid the price that he had to pay for you, the price he had to pay for me. It says this merchant went and sold all that he had that he could buy this field in the picture of for the nation of Israel, but here it's to buy it, the pearl. You and I have been redeemed with this incredible thing that Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, that you were bought, you guys, not with, a, not with a check, not with silver, not with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot or blemish, with his blood. The price for your salvation, the price for your redemption was blood, that he would wash away your sins and my sins. When you've had somebody lay your, their life down for you, I mean, there's something... Uh, incredibly endearing. My older brother, who's older than me by two and a half years, we went through our life, and because he was two and a half years older than me, and my brother's uh, um, tough and real scrapper, even though he's very small, even when he's full grown, he's like, you know, five, six, 145 pounds, I would just laugh at people that wanted to take him on. I'm like, it's, yeah, a stick of dynamite small too. I'll, let's see how you do, right? But 
I must have had this sign on my forehead growing up, please beat me up, right, growing up, as we, were, we had moved from school, school every six months, so we'd have to find the, him and I would have, I remember specifically this one conversation we had in a, the office, we were going to a new school, and he looks at me, and uh, to my family, I'm Ricky, so please don't call me Ricky, I'm Rick to you, but he looked at me, and goes, now Ricky, whoever the bully are, we're going to find them this week, when they find us, I want you to just punch them in the nose as hard as you can, get them off our back so they don't punk us for the rest of the time we're here. And if you can't whip them, I'll whip them. And if neither one of us can whip them individually, we'll see, see what we can do together. You know what I mean? And so every week it was the same. We found, I mean, somebody, we didn't know what their name was going to be or how big they were going to be. They just show up at every school. It's a pecking order, right, in human life. And you're either going to be punked by them, and uh, there's other words for it that are not quite as nice, but... You can either do that or not. But my brother took a number of beatings for me when I was going to get throttled. He just stepped in the way, and he took them. I remember one day this high school kid, and Scotty was only a seventh grader, but the guy, it was the first time I ever got knocked out. I was in the fourth grade, and this high schooler knocked me out cold. And uh, I came to from the ground from this guy punching me. And Scotty was chasing him, and he's this little seventh grader chasing a high school kid that's like, you know, almost a full foot taller than him. And then finally the high school kid wakes up and goes, why am I running from this little pipsqueak? And he turns around and he begins to, uh, they boxed and my, my brother's face, this kid just hit my brother in the face over and over and his face was just bright red. And as I sit there watching my brother take the beating because he was trying to stand in the gap for me, I'd already been knocked out. The tears were running down my face because I, I couldn't believe, and it had happened before too, that my brother would love me that much to stand in the gap. When somebody lays their life down, Jesus said the greatest love that you can possibly have is to lay down your life for a friend. That's, that's the greatest love there is, when you lay your life down for another. And Jesus is this merchant going through the world. He finds this precious pearl. That's you. And he laid his life down for you. But it wasn't just getting punched in the face. It was that and his beard being plucked out, and the crown of thorns on his head, and spikes through his hands and his feet, all for you. And the price that he paid, you can't give more than your life. That's the limit. You can't give more than, there's nothing left to give, right, after your life. So the redemptive factor that Jesus is revealing to us, and now he gives us the dragnet in the seventh parable, which is a separation, the Previous two were redemptive, but now this is a separation. Again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of the every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be, once again, Jesus is saying this, at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. To the end of the age, now he uses the picture. They're at the Sea of Galilee. They're, I mean, the fishermen are there. They use dragnets all the time. And it's a picture of when Jesus uh, is on the shore after his resurrection, Peter and John have caught this big catch. And it says that Peter drug the dragnet up onto the shore, and there was 153 large fish in it. And as they drug them up, this is the picture that he gives us in a spiritual nature. At the end of the age, there's going to be the fishermen are, are the angels, that they're separating the good into heaven and the bad into hell. The good into heaven, the bad into hell. After saying all of this, he asked them about their comprehension in verse 51. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Can I ask you, have you understood everything we've just talked about? That was a lot of content. Some of your eyes are glazed over. Some of you are sleeping. Some of you are thinking about going and getting a burger if you haven't got it yet, right? You're tuned in, you're tuned out. Do you understand all these things that Jesus is saying? Because this is revelation that the disciples are hearing that they didn't know. They didn't know at the end of the age these things are gonna happen. They didn't know that the devil's going to try to constantly uh, persecute or infiltrate, persecute, infiltrate. And he gives this last one. In verse 52, the homeowner. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, things new and old. 
It's like somebody that's like, you go to their house and they have all this old memorabilia and then they have these brand new things. And he's just showing, hey, here's the old stuff. And this, you know, this is, uh, I got this piece when I was in Israel. It's like 500 years old. Or here, this is this new cutting edge type of technology that I got. But he's talking about a spiritual sense. So each one of us, as we grow in our walk with the Lord, there's all these wonderful old lessons that the Lord has taught me. And there's these new lessons the Lord is teaching me this week. And my, my goal as a Christian, and your goal as a Christian, is all the things that God has taught us to be able to bring those out and to share them with other people. To share with them over coffee, to share with them on a trip, to share with them over dinner, to share with your family. I get to share with my kids when they were growing up. These are the things that the Lord has taught me. And these are the things the Lord's teaching me now. Sometimes, you know, my kids are, are grown, right? So my son's 34, my daughter's 31. And oftentimes we're having very deep conversations and they're, they're asking me about, hey, you know, what, what's the Lord teaching you now, Dad? What, what's the new thing? And whatever the Lord's talking to me about, I just start sharing with them and they'll share with me. It's the old and the new in those things. You are to be, as a Christian, you are to be a dispenser of the goodness that Jesus has taught you and revealed to you. You're to be a dispenser, you know. And it's a drag when the dispenser's empty, right? You go into the bathroom and you try the soap dispenser, nothing there. You, you, try, you try the paper towel, no, where's the, no paper, where's my dispenser? But you and I are to be dispensers of the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God because once, as the old gospel hymn says, once I was lost but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once was, I had these teenagers, my wife and I, a while back, because now it's funny. My wife and I, being married 36 years, if we make it by God's grace, 37 in May, we were uh, hanging out, and this young couple, they're like 17 years old. They've been seeing each other for eight months or so. And uh, they started asking us about our relationship. Well, young people think it's really cute when old people hold hands. They look at you like, oh, it's kind of weird. <laughs> My wife and I were at this fair, and we were walking, and we were talking, and we were holding hands, and we hear some young people go, oh, that's so cute, the old people are holding hands, and my wife, my wife and I were like, we were looking for the old people, we're like, I said, babe, they're talking about us. <laughs> so we got a big kick out of it. But this young couple are like, how, how, how do you make a marriage work? How's relationships work? People don't know how to make a relationship work. Well, Jesus shares with you the secrets to how to make things work, right? You can share all the old lessons and the new lessons you're learning because at every stage in your life, you know, the young family stage where you're just like, <laughs> it's crazy, and the empty nest stage. Empty nest, I guess that means exciting things happen, right, in the empty nest. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Get to run around the house naked, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> these, these things happen at one o'clock. That's why people show up. But to be a dispenser, you know what? A lot of people are not going to read the Bible. They, you might be the only Bible they ever read. Paul the Apostle said that you are living letters known and read by all men. God has written his message on your heart. I'm going to close with this story because I think it's such a fantastic story. This man, they call him the man with the golden arm. In Australia, the Australian Red Cross Service talks about this man that has saved 2,400,000 lives. Think of that. 2,400,000 lives. James Harris, nicknamed the man with the golden arm, has a rare antibody in his blood that is used to make a life-saving medication called Anti-D given to the mothers whose blood is at risk of developing rhesus d hemolec uh, disease, also known as HDN, or antibodies that attack their unborn babies. He said, it's a sad day for me, the end of a long run, Harrison said at 81. He said, I'd keep on going if they'd let me. They stopped taking trans uh, you know, donations from him because he's 81. I'm like, dude, what? You just, why don't they let him do it until he's dead. You see this picture of all these moms and babies around him? What if you just by rolling up your sleeve and somebody just t drawing your blood, you could save 2,400,000 babies? You see, his dispensary was open. He was dispensing his blood 
and saving lives. And most of us don't have this condition that he has so that we are a walking uh, pharmacy ready to save lives. But we have the greatest message ever known to man, the love of God that he has revealed to us in his son Jesus. It's a common thing for young people, teenagers. When they grow up in the church, they begin to chafe against the, the gospel message, against their Christian parents' morals and various things. And sometimes that tension's really great and they finally leave and they go, you know, forget you, forget the church, forget Jesus, all this stuff. I'm just gonna go out here in the world and tear it up and see if it's as bad as you said it was. And one boy told uh, my friend that. And they were on the doorstep and his dad told him this. He said, son, I lived out there in the world and I looked, I looked high and low for something that would fulfill my deepest need. And he said, I never found it. And as your father, you owe this to me. If you find something that is better than Jesus, you owe it to me to come tell me what it is because I will talk to you about that. I wanna know if you find something better than Jesus. His son went out, lived in his lifestyle of wildness for some time and finally he heard a knock on the door one day and he opened the door and there's his son. And he said, Dad, I just want to come back and tell you there's nothing better than Jesus. I've been out there trying it all. I've been trying the sex and the drugs and the partying and there's nothing that fulfills like Jesus. When you have a message like that in your heart to dispense to other people that are hurting, there are people around you, I, they can have money in the bank, they can be driving the nicest car, they can have the most luxurious surroundings in the world and they can be stone cold, dead and empty on the inside and ready to take their own life because of their own misery. You have the hope of Jesus inside of you. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a glorious hope that you get to share with others. And sometimes it's not until people are at rock bottom that they're actually surrendered to really wanna know him, right? You finally hit bottom and you're like, okay, Lord, I tried everything else. There's nothing left on the list. <laughs> Let's see what you will do in my life. And he brings his abundant life to your soul. That's why the privilege of being able to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus is to me the greatest privilege on the planet. Somebody that was lost and as we saw in these parables, on their way to hell are now on their way to heaven. But they have a spiritual journey and battle and struggle in front of them through all of these things. And none of us are exempt until we see the Lord face to face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. And Jesus, we can't believe that you loved us so much to give your life in this way. Thank you seems very empty, Jesus. Saying we love you seems not sufficient. But we say both of those things to try to convey with our words our incredible gratitude to you for filling us with your love, with your joy and your peace. So we're just closing right now in prayer. If you want to open your heart by faith and invite Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of the world into your heart and start a new walk with him here this afternoon, I just want to invite you right now to Open your heart by faith by praying with me and just surrendering your life to him. Pray with me right now and just in a simple, sincere way. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. I confess I need you, Jesus. Please be my savior. Rescue me from my brokenness. Save me from my emptiness. Cleanse me from my shame and my guilt. Wash me clean, Lord. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand together. I want you to know that after this closing song, if you need prayer, the prayer team's going to be down here. They'd love to pray for you, minister to you, whatever you need. Don't leave without just reaching out to them and having them pray with you. May the Lord keep you in his wonderful grace as you walk with him this week. God bless you guys. Let's worship him. I've seen the light in the darkness. I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 now I won't worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.